Good morning. How's everybody doing today? I don't know if I believe you. It's great to see you. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Glad you're with us today. And uh, if you all come back next week, we're gonna have to um, remove the curtains. That's pretty cool. Some of you came in and couldn't find a seat, but that's because you don't want to sit in the front row. There's Isaac, I don't know <laughs> what happened. The ushers were like, plenty of seats in the front row, but Isaac's there. That's the, you know, you have to deal with that one. So great to have everybody. So I got to tell you, first of all, so you don't spend the whole talk wondering what my shirt says. Uh, my shirt is a hashtag that says she gives hope. And uh, you can figure out what that is if you want to like search it in Facebook or on Twitter or Instagram. I guess it's Instagram. But uh, there's a woman that Wendy and I know uh, friends with. Her name is Lena Abujamra, And she does work in Syria with Syrian refugees. She's a medical doctor in the Chicago area, also a speaker. And uh, maybe one day you'll get to meet her if she's up here uh, speaking. But uh, that's what She Gives Hope is all about, uh, helping bring awareness to what's happening with the Syrian refugee crisis and all that stuff. So maybe search that hashtag and Alina does some good work. All right. So it's great to to have everybody here today. Uh, Listen, we're in this series uh, called Hope Rising, where we've been exploring what does it mean to believe and to affirm that the God of the universe the God that is affirmed as love, that holds everything together, is, a, a, is in the business of phoenix rising, right? And we started with this uh, passage, the scripture verse from the Old Testament. If you're kind of new to Bible study or not quite sure what to do with the Bible, join the club. A lot of us don't know what to do with certain passages and spend a lot of time in classrooms trying to figure it out. But this uh, prophetic voice, Isaiah, this great book of the Bible in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 61, verse three says that to all who mourn in Israel, he, God will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. And uh, we've been kind of using this verse as a springboard into some topics over the last five weeks. And if you haven't been able to be here, uh, shame on you. That's uh, just, uh, you know, it's too bad that you prioritize other things over me. Um, <laughs> And uh, I mean, over God. Uh, and so, no, if you, were able, if you weren't able to be here because you were out serving the poor, I understand completely. Um, if you were watching a football game, you know, maybe not. But, uh, but if you did miss for whatever reason, you can always check it out online and catch up on some of the talks and the, the different topics that we had. And uh, how many of you have ever been afraid of something? Raise your hand up nice and high. Keep your hands up, keep your hands up. How many of you have ever uh, overcome that fear? Keep your hand up if you overcame that fear somehow. Oh, that's cool. You all can leave. Uh, <laughs> I was in Romania one time and we were driving through the mountains and I don't remember where we were going. I just remember fearing for my life for a couple of reasons uh, because I'm not a huge fan of heights. Uh, I, ha- I like to say I have a healthy respect for heights. Uh, my wife likes to tell me that I'm afraid of heights, to which I like to correct her and say that's not entirely accurate. I have a fear of falling from heights. The height itself, I have no issues with. It's usually when there's the danger of me falling from it. So we're driving through the mountains, the Carpathian Mountains there in Romania. And uh, no offense to Romanian drivers, but my friend who's a Romanian pastor is a terrible driver. Uh, and I would say that to his face because I have. And uh, we're on these mountains and it's like, here's the road and it's the edge of eternity right there. And uh, so we're driving through these mountains, kind of all freaking out. And we get into this mountain town and I look over and there's this bear with this guy. I mean, it sounds like a joke, but it's the truth. It's a truth. There's this huge brown bear uh, and it's attached with a rope. 
like a simple rope. Like this bear has no idea or the man has no idea what this bear can do, but the rope is tied around this bear. And what is happening is for a few lay, the, the Romanian currency, you can go get your picture taken with the bear. And so what am I thinking? I need to go get my picture taken with that bear, right? And, and I'm, I, for some reason, I'm not afraid of this because I feel like the rope is a good idea, right? And we have, by the way, there's like 30 people on this trip with us. So I'm being a super great example for the teenagers that I'm leading, the young adults, and all of our adult leaders that are there to keep everybody safe. I'm thinking, let's pull over and get my picture taken with this bear. You'll notice I don't have a picture of me with the bear. That would be because my wife was on the trip as well. And she felt like that was not a good idea, right? Uh, She was quite afraid of what that bear could do to me. And I just thought it was the strangest thing, this huge bear with a little rope around its neck, completely docile, right? Odd things, right? But I wasn't afraid of the bear, afraid of heights, but we all have fears, right? I have uh, my greatest fear, right? And and I, you should know this about me too. Like I'm kind of an open book. If you ever really want to know anything about me, just ask, I'll tell you partly because I've kind of come to this space that I know that I'm loved by the creator and that's really good enough for me. And that, that creator of the universe knows all my struggles and loves me perfectly in the midst of it. So if you can't get past those things, I don't know what to tell you. The issue's not me, it's you. Uh, so, and the same is true for me. If I have an issue with you over something in your life or struggle or whatever, the issue's not you, it's me because I'm trying to live out perfect love as a follower of Jesus. Like that's the whole point. So for me, my whole life kind of growing up, especially as I entered into professional world was my greatest fear really was not being significant. I always just have this and it still lives within me. It's just this fear that takes a hold of me that what if my life doesn't count for something? What if it doesn't matter? And currently that greatest fear is like lived out in a real life, real world scenario for me here at Crossroads as I've kind of come in and we've lived here for about 45 days. And I live with this fear of what happens if, if Crossroads doesn't grow. Like what happens if there isn't movement in the right direction? Like what happens if we don't come out of a tough season? Like, what does that say about me? And so I live with this kind of weight of fear. Now, some of you are so sweet and you're gonna start sending me really nice emails and you're gonna meet me in the foyer and say, oh no, it's great, don't worry about it, you know. Don't bother, don't do that because that's not how overcoming fear works, right? Uh, It's just the reality of something that I'm constantly in, in communication with God over is this reality that like, just like you, your identity gets tied into things that aren't healthy. And that for me is it. And so I, I come every Sunday, I come to work on Monday. Well, I work on Sundays. Everybody knows pastors only work one day a week. And I put in a little overtime on Thursday nights uh, here, but other than that, but that's the ultimate fear. Like, what does it say about me as a leader? What does it say about me as a pastor? If all these kind of hopes and dreams and thoughts of like this next season. I mean, we're having pumpkin spice Sunday for crying out loud to celebrate a new season, right? And what if it's just more of the same, you know? And so I live in that space of fear and I live in that place that it it taints my ability to just rest in God. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you would agree with me that your greatest fears tend to fall into those kinds of categories of significance and purpose. And I I would say that there's kind of three big major areas in life. For those of you that are dying for the first fill-in, here it comes. Um, For the guests that are like, what is he talking about? In your program, there's fill-ins. You're welcome to pull out, follow along, give you hope that it will end uh, as the fill-ins get filled in. 
I think that there are three major kind of buckets that most of our fears, the, the, real, the real debilitating fears fall into. And that is acceptance. Most of our fears kind of center around acceptance. I think that for me is the, is the big one. A lot of our fears tend to center in the bucket of finances. And a lot of our fears tend to settle in the bucket of pain, right? We're afraid of pain. What happens? Pain. Like we avoid situations because whether it's emotional or physical. And fear kind of sits in these buckets in our lives. Now, I want to be careful today as we kind of talk about this subject that there's two, there's two nuances to the word fear, in my humble opinion. And that is there is fear, and then there is fear of. Right? Does that make sense? So there is fear that grips us and takes a hold of us that for me, this fear that what happens if I'm not successful? I don't even know what that looks like, to be honest with you as a pastor, but I just know I'm afraid of not being it. And that fear kind of grips us. But then there's this thing called the fear of, right? The fear of heights, the fear of a bear that is held by a rope, right? Those are fairly healthy fears, and when I was training for my first black belt, I had to read a book as part of that process. And it was called The Gift of Fear. It's a fantastic book. I still would encourage people to read it if they wanted to. But it talks about how your body is actually wired in a healthy way to give you cues that maybe this isn't a good situation to be in, right? That maybe there's a reason why when you're standing in a space, you, this wash of fear comes over you, that there's an instinct there of survival that says, Maybe I shouldn't. And then and what happens is we ignore that little voice sometimes that's guiding us directly, and then terrible things happen. And, and, and that's one thing about the book is there's story after story of people who went through horrific experiences, violent attacks, but there was something inside of their heart or their head just before the attack that said, don't go in there, don't do that. And they ignored that gift, right? So I'm not talking about that. I don't think it's wise uh, for us to go around saying, well, I'm not afraid of anything. I, I think we should be afraid of plummeting a thousand feet down a mountain, right? That produces a healthy respect for things. But what I wanna talk about today is that fear, that thing we'll call fear. We could, if you wanna use spiritual language, we could call it the demonic force of fear, right? We can call it an oppression of fear, but it is that thing that takes a hold of us that is detrimental to our whole person, that when fear sets in, it's not something that we just cognitively think of, but it affects our physical life. It sets us into spaces and, and kind of fear underlies a lot of the things we've been talking about. Fear puts us into a place often of loneliness and fear puts us into a place of depression and anxiety. And we, we know that fear does these horrible things to the whole health of our being. It paralyzes us. If it confuses us. Which way do I go? We get paralyzed to make a decision. It prevents vulnerability if you're tracking along with the great devotions and the rising strong groups that Pastor Katie has been facilitating. If you haven't, by the way, you should go to the website and get connected with those, right? This power of vulnerability. But fear is the barrier to vulnerability because what happens if I tell you this is my fear? What happens if I tell you this is my, what happens if you knew me? Because if you knew me, I don't think you would like me. I don't think you would love me. Fear locks us in self-destructive relationships. I have seen and, 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 and talked with and experienced both men and women stuck in abusive relationships because there is this irrational fear of how could I move on? My life is so tied in. I'm so, I so need this other person. And the tricky part about fear 
right? The, the real part about fear that makes it so difficult to deal with is that fear is usually underneath something. And we tend in our lives to focus on the presenting problem, but not the underlying issue, right? So in your life, in your heart, you have a decision to make and you're paralyzed to make that decision. Maybe it's about a career, about a relationship, whatever it might be. We tend to focus on that decision. Why am I having such a problem with this decision? And then we make our lists of here's all the pros and cons of this workplace. And here's all the pros and cons of this workplace. And we never actually tackle the issue of fear because honestly, we think that there's something wrong with saying we're afraid of something, especially if you're like me, super macho. Why is that funny? Right? I mean, if you, if you have testosterone flowing through your veins and you've been a part of any kind of male-driven patriarchal culture, we're not afraid. We're not allowed to talk about fears. So instead, we look at the presenting problems and we try to rationally think about these, but we never get to the root of it. So today, I thought it'd be fun to do something that maybe might strike some of you as confusing, is to actually look at Jesus's experience with fear. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus was afraid, and we have this tendency to think of Jesus as this guy who walked on water, right? If, if you've ever heard the story of Jesus walking on water, that's why we think that, <laughs> right? And there's this story floating around in the Bible a couple of times that Jesus walked on water, that he turned water into wine, that he called out Lazarus from the tomb, that he actually was crucified and murdered in the most heinous way and three days later walked out conquering death, hell, and the grave. And that's the narrative that we think of Jesus. But that is the Jesus of 2,000 years of church history and theological development and big questions of saying, who was this man, Jesus? But the man, Jesus, who walked on this earth 2,000 years ago was just like you and just like me in every way. And, and to say that Jesus didn't have fear would be to remove a huge part of what we come to understand about the person of Jesus, that he was fully human. And to be fully human is to experience fear. And so I thought I'd look at one of the more famous moments that I think we see the evidence of fear in Jesus's life and look at how Jesus uh, dealt with that fear. Maybe we can learn a few things for our everyday normal lives. Does that sound like a plan? Oh, good, because that is the plan, uh, whether you want it to be or not. And we've locked the back doors. So. so Matthew chapter 26, we get these 10 verses that tell us this really amazing story of Jesus's fear. And to put it in context, this is the night that Jesus is gonna be arrested. So if you're not familiar with the story, if you're not familiar with the Bible, Bible study, that's great. No prerequisites required. The book of Matthew is what we call a gospel. It's the first book of the New Testament. The Bible's divided into two major sections. What, what we Protestants or Catholics or you know, Christians would call the Old Testament, which is actually the Jewish Bible, uh, still in fact is the Jewish Bible. Uh, and it kind of tells the backstory of Jesus from the perspective of Christianity. And uh, then we have the New Testament, which is the story of Jesus and how his followers took his command, his, his, his word to go make disciples seriously. And so we have the life, teachings, death, resurrection of Jesus in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we have all these letters and narratives around people trying to live out this Jesus way of life in their context. And so Matthew is this book, Good News, the Gospel. Uh, and in Matthew, we find this story and we're towards the end of the story of Jesus. He's about to be arrested and betrayed by one of his best friends. He's about to be tried for treason. And that night, Jesus had kind of done some teaching with his disciples. He had spent some time with them. And then it says that Jesus went out to an olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. 
And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed, right? So we get this scene. Jesus takes his followers, his 12 disciples, at least 12 disciples. There probably were more. We tend to think of it as only 12, but my guess is wherever Jesus was, uh, he had to be pretty secretive to keep it private. But Jesus and the 12 at least went out and he went to this olive grove. He's praying and he pulls three very, very close friends with him. And I would not say that Jesus loved these three more, but I would say that Jesus put more trust in these three that Jesus had a, a unique relationship with these three. They served as kind of an inner counsel for him. Uh, and, and so Jesus pulls the three to come with him where he's gonna go pray. And this is what Jesus says to these three. He says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And if you have ever experienced fear, that's a good description. My soul is crushed. And see, Jesus experienced soul-crushing fear. That fear that tries to paralyze you. That fear that tries to deviate you from the path you know you should be on. That fear that says there's no way you can do this. And it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't announce this to all of them. That might put panic in the camp. <laughs> but Jesus says to this, these three, this is what I'm experiencing. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And some of you have dealt with that fear and are in that space of fear and you know exactly what Jesus was going through. And so Jesus says, stay here and keep watch with me, with me. I love it. Stay here. Don't go back to where they are. Don't come with me, but keep watch with me. You know what Jesus needed? He needed friends. He needed friends in the face of his fear. We don't like to think of Jesus as needing anything, but Jesus was not autonomous. He wasn't this human being that just walked around without any input from his culture or his surroundings. He needed these three men in his life. And he said, stay here, keep watch with me, be with me in the midst of this. And that's what was so important to Jesus when he was gonna face his fear. And that's what we're gonna see he does. So he goes off and it says that Jesus went a little further and he bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now, I don't think for a second, by the way, that this is the only thing that Jesus prayed. And I don't think it was so put together. <laughs> I got a feeling there was a lot of anguish, right? And we have this, in the form that we have it, because the early followers of Jesus were trying to understand why did Jesus die? If he could have done anything, why did he have to die? Was he that powerless? And so this, the memory of this moment and the reason why this gets written down for Matthew's community is to understand that Jesus lived in submission to the Father that this is the ultimate expression of love, this is the ultimate expression of following and being Jewish really was to live in submission to the Father. And so Jesus goes and says this prayer, I am scared to death of what is being asked of me. I am scared to death of what's gonna happen to me and I don't want this to happen to me. In fact, let's figure out a better plan. Like we've got time. Let's let, you know, surely we can come up with something better than what I think is about to happen. And we have this put so well, right? Jesus so articulates, but not my will, but your will be done, Father. Like I can promise you that's not exactly how it came out probably. 
I mean, I think it probably came out with a bit of anguish given the way Jesus described his own internal state of being, given the psalmist and the, the, the tradition of lament that Jesus grew up in. I've got a feeling Jesus was pretty clear with his desire for this never to happen. But it's interesting in his deep grief and his pain, he needed his friends, but he also needed dedicated prayer. He needed dedicated prayer. And for many of us, this becomes like, whoop, check out. He said the word prayer. It's a bold underline. I'm out. I shouldn't have come today because he's gonna want me to memorize something. He's gonna want me to pray for 45 minutes. He's gonna want me to find an olive grove and I don't even know where an olive grove is. (laughs) But for now, can we just hold that whatever this word prayer means, whatever all the baggage that comes with it, can we just recognize that Jesus in the midst of his greatest fear, he knew that he needed to go talk to his dad. He knew that he needed to go have a conversation. He needed to get some wisdom. He needed to lay it all out on the line. He needed to be honest. So he goes off and he prays. And then scripture says that he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. These three that he was like so confident in, he found them asleep and he said, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now, the thing to remember is he's talking to Peter and he had just gone over with Peter earlier that evening, what's gonna happen? Even to the point of, hey, Peter, guess what? Like, you're gonna deny me. And Peter said, absolutely not. I'll never deny you. He says, oh yeah, you will. Before it happens three times, three times you're gonna be like, I never knew you, right? That's, that's what you're gonna do. And so in this whole experience, right? I think Peter was afraid. Peter's afraid, like this guy who he's given his life to is starting to talk crazy about death and dying and not being the Messiah that they wanted, not being the new king of Israel. And I honestly think that we have this great picture of why the disciples are asleep is because fear is draining. Fear drained Peter of his strength. He was like, oh, I, I, the emotion of it. You, if you've ever been through an emotional 45 minutes, that emotional 45 minutes can wear you out physically as if you just went and did six hours of, of, of physical activity. Fear drains us. And so Peter's drained of fear. Jesus says, listen, you gotta stay alert. I know it's difficult, but I don't want you to fall into that temptation. And so Jesus leaves him again a second time, it says, and he went and he prayed. My father, this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it. If it can't be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, we're, the writer is giving us this, this rep, repetition of the prayer to show how important that prayer is, not just for Jesus, but for us. Right? We get this story given to us out of all the stories, out of all the experiences of Jesus so that we can understand the temperament that we're to bring into prayer. We're to be honest. This is why I don't want this or this is going on and I don't, but I want your will, this, this will of love and grace for our world. That's what I want more than anything. And so Jesus, the scripture says, returned to them again and he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. This time Jesus doesn't interrupt them. He just goes back a third time and he says the same things again. And then after that, he comes back to the disciples and this is what he says. It's kind of weird. He says, go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but get up. (laughs) In other words, I think he was saying, it's okay that you fell asleep. Don't worry about it. Isn't that good? I get it. And by the way, if you ever fall asleep praying, don't ever let anybody give you grief about that. Ever. Never, ever, ever. That's the best time to fall asleep. How many parents in the house? 
You ever had your kids fall asleep in your arms while they're talking? Did you get mad at them for doing it? Of course not. And, and you who know how to give okay gifts. <laughs> but the God of the universe to fall asleep in God's care while we're praying, I mean, that's a sign of rest almost given to us in the anxiety of our souls. And then we're made to feel bad because we fell asleep. But Jesus says, go ahead and rest. It's okay. It's okay that you fell asleep. I'm not that. But look, it's time. The son of man is betrayed. And that's a, if you're new to Bible study, Jesus would refer to himself as the son of man to bring up that he is a human being, that he's, that this humanity in Jesus, it was also a phrase from the book of Daniel. And so again, that phrase that gets put into the narrative of Jesus is so that the followers post Jesus would understand and place Jesus in the right context as human. He was son of man, but he was also son of God. He says, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners up Let's be going, look, my betrayer is here. This isn't up, let's be going, time to run, skedaddle, grab the stuff, let's get out of here. It's the time has arrived. I need to face what's happening. And here's what I think is so fascinating about Jesus compared to me. <laughs> There's a lot of things, but fear can paralyze me, but fear did not paralyze Jesus. He goes into this season of prayer. He goes into these moments. He's got his friends around him. And he says, okay, here it is. This is the time. And he makes the decision to stay. See, I can resonate with the psalmist, the writer of Psalm 134, 143, excuse me, that says, I'm losing all hope. I am paralyzed with fear. Like I can resonate with that. Like that's a Psalm that I'm like anchor verse, life verse. Some of y'all have life verses. I've never had one. You know, all this stuff. I got, that's one. I'll get that tattooed right there. Whoosh, you know, but Jesus, like, fear didn't paralyze him. And I say, why didn't it paralyze him? Because he was vulnerable enough to share with his friends, this is what I'm going through. And he was honest enough and courageous enough to go to his father in prayer. So this is what I think is great for us, is that friends with prayer gives us the strength to begin to stand against fear. I use the word begin because I don't ever want to present that, well, if we just have a prayer meeting for you, that's good enough. That if you just talk to a friend and, and you just pray together, it's good enough. But it gives us the courage to begin. It gives us a perspective to say, here we go. And so as we think about our everyday normal lives, here's a few tips for you. Things that we can learn from the life of Jesus to apply to us on Monday morning when we're in those moments where fear starts to grip a hold of us. First thing is this, in the emotion of a moment, I don't say the moment because that is foolish to think that you're only gonna have one moment where you're emotion filled. But when you have a moment, you're having a moment and your emotions are rising up, pause and ask yourself, what am I afraid of right now? I'm telling you, that question is worth every penny you're gonna give in the offering today. That was a joke, by the way. Okay, no offering jokes, Isaac. We learned that one, not with this group. <laughs> Like, th 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 this is it right here. Like, this question, use it with your children. Use it with yourself. If you're walking with your spouse through a moment of emotion, just say, what am I afraid of right now? If I'm in a heated argument with my spouse, not that that ever happens, because, you know, I'm a pastor, and I'm saying, we're arguing, if I'll just pause and say, what am I afraid of right now? You know what that does? That will de-escalate me and, like, humble me in that moment and bring me to a space of, okay, I have to do some self. What am I afraid of? When your kids start to have that moment of panic, what are you afraid of? And then deal with the fear, not the presenting problem. 
And the way to deal with the fear is to speak the lie of a fear to a friend. So whatever I'm afraid of is probably a lie. It's like a worst case scenario. And I need to say that out loud to a friend. I use the word friend in the broadest sense of the word. Somebody who loves you. Could be a spouse, could be a parent, could be a a coworker, right? There's this show called This Is Us. Y'all ever heard of this show? I'm still trying to figure out how holy this group is. So I don't know if y'all watch TV or not. How many have ever heard of the show This Is Us on NBC, right? Cool, so some of you have. It's a great show, really interesting the way they do it. But in the show, one of the couples, they have this thing that they do called worst case scenario. And when they start to feel themselves, they say, okay, worst case scenario. And then they say the absolute worst possible thing that could ever happen to them if they make this decision. And they just wanna get it out there, right? And it teaches us something really true that when we speak the truth, we watch fear lose its grip. When we speak the truth, and and all of a sudden you start realizing, yeah, that is a worst case scenario, but it is such a worst case, so far-fetched. Now I can, as I start to speak the truth, I can start to discern the lie. Scripture has this really interesting uh, metaphor of fire. Oftentimes there's this phrase called refining fire. refined in the fire, purified by fire, because fire has this tendency to burn out the things that are untrue or unclean in an item, in a property. And so what truth does is it presents fire to a lie and it consumes that lie. And then out of that fire comes the truth, comes something pure, right? Gold is refined by fire. The impurities are pulled up and out of gold and it takes fire to do that. And in the place of fire then, so truth becomes this fire to the lie of fear. And we have to learn to speak that. And here's what's so powerful. As fear starts to lose that grip, as we start to speak truth into it, as we start to speak against that, as we start to name our fears, say them out loud, people share in that fear with us, they walk with us, they pray with us. You know what happens? As fear loses its grip, love takes a hold. Love that was always there, but hidden. Love that was always there saying, I've got this, I'm with you. You're worthy of love and attention. You're worthy of love and affection. Your fears, your, your desires, your failures, everything together. Don't listen. And, and love can take a hold of us. And at its highest form, love, scripture teaches us that it casts out the fear of God, the fear of punishment, because we are loved perfectly. And so as we wrap up here, as we take a few moments to consider the, the fear in our lives, do me a favor, pull out that connect card. The connect card that's in your program. And some of you, you've been around here for, how many have been here for longer than five years? Longer than five years, longer than 10 years. Keep your hands up, nice high, cool. So if you're in the camp that's been here longer than five or 10 years, you're so revolting right now against this connect card thing. Uh, I, I totally get it. You're like, I don't need to fill that out. I totally understand that, but you're wrong, okay? Uh, so I'll give you the why for two reasons. One, there's some next steps that you can think through. The other thing is if you're a guest, we want our guests to feel welcome and a part of things. And if the only person filling out a connect card is our guests, it's really awkward. So guests, we're filling out our connect card for you because we want you to feel like a part of things. And we don't ever want you to feel strange or awkward as a first time we're here, especially our guests that aren't like me, 40 years old and white, okay? That is a, that's a tough gig to be in this space. I understand that. So, so the, pull out the connect card. It's a great way to stay connected with uh, the organized organization of the church, but to be, put prayer requests in. It's a great way to make little commitments too. And that there are people that pray for what's on these cards, 
So on the bottom of your talk notes and your connect card, there's this great opportunity to just think about what is it that God is inviting you into today given this topic of fear? What is that? Maybe God is inviting you to begin praying with a friend about a space in your life that fear has taken a hold of. Maybe you have to just speak that out. Maybe God is inviting you to pray with a friend in their fear. Maybe God is inviting you to speak your truth to fear. You've gone through a, a, a circumstance in life and you need to just say, okay, here's the fear. This is what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid I'm gonna be alone the rest of my life. I'm afraid that my kids are not gonna like me. I'm afraid that I'm gonna fail at this new job. I'm afraid of these things. You have to speak that truth and say, but that's not the truth. The truth is that I am loved by God, that I am cared for by God, that I have a community of people around me that I don't have to hide. And this morning, as I was like thinking about this talk and knowing where we were landing, I wanted to encourage something that might seem weird to you. I know that's odd to think about me encouraging something weird, but maybe you should call a prayer meeting. Now, for some of you who like grew up in church, your heart just leap and you're like, yes, Ryan, call a prayer meeting, bring us together. We need more prayer. And you didn't hear me correctly. I said, maybe you should call a prayer meeting. Maybe God's inviting you to gather two or three of your closest friends and have a prayer meeting in your living room for you. Ooh. Maybe you need to say to some friends, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death and I need you with me. See, for too long, the church has taken over what the church organized, institutional has taken over what we as individuals are supposed to be doing. And you say, well, Ryan, I don't know how to pray. Well, clearly Peter, James, and John didn't have much of a clue about it either. I mean, they fell asleep. But that didn't stop Jesus from saying, come on. And I just wonder if God's inviting you to have just like a prayer meeting in your home with two or three people where you just get a little vulnerable and say, this is what I'm afraid of. And can we pray together? Will you pray for me? I don't even care if you pray out loud. I don't care if you fall asleep while we're praying, but will you just be with me as I pray? And maybe you just need to spend a few moments together and then have coffee, watch the football game, do whatever you do. I, I'm not, I don't think those things are antithetical, community and prayer, but maybe you need to bring the language of the auditorium into the sanctuary of the living room. I don't know, maybe. So as you consider what God's inviting you into, Josh and the band's gonna sing a song over us. Just make some commitments to Jesus on this, hear his voice, and then I'll pray for you and we'll get you out of here.